0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1940. Buckle up because today we're at Elkhart Lake, Road America.
1: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a
0: wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in beautiful Elkhart Lake at a racetrack, which is very cool, with a very special guest by the name of John Evert. John, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch?
1: I do, and I'm ready to go.
0: Yeah, you guys out there are always ready for that. Now, before I give you a proper introduction, I typically ask my guests to share one little thing that most people don't know about you. Now, I learned something about you that's very interesting that kind of connects us here. In 2003 and five, you were a volunteer firefighter EMT here in Gig Harbor, Washington, where I live. That's pretty cool.
1: Yes, I was. Um, uh, it's an interesting story. Um Uh, In 2001, I was actually in in New York City for the New York City Auto Show, uh, which was only a few months after uh, September 11th, and uh, I went to Ground Zero, and um, I was uh, taken aback by the destruction and and the sacrifice of all the firefighters, so I had walked um, all night in the snow um, to Times Square, and I was going to sign up for the military, Wow! But but unfortunately, I was too old, Um, so they said, you know, we need more firefighters and cops. So I immediately flew back home to Southern California after the auto show, um, walked into a fire station and said, what do I need to do, uh, to become a firefighter? And luckily a very kind lieutenant uh, with the LA County fire department sat me down and, and talked me through a few things. He said, I was a little bit older than, than most guys. I was 28 at the time, but, uh, he said, uh, you know, go for it. Here's what you need to do. So I sold everything I owned. Wow. And uh, moved up to Gig Harbor, Washington, where my parents uh, lived at the time, and my sister and brother-in-law and two nephews were over in uh, in uh, Bellevue and Renton wow. yeah. uh, area. I had my entire immediate family there, and they were very supportive of me. So, um, ironically enough, I uh, signed on with the Gig Harbor Volunteer Fire Department and. Uh, Got my EMT certification at uh, Fort Lewis McCord, and uh, I was a full-time EMT uh, with a private ambulance service in Seattle called TriMed. Um, and uh, then I was a uh, volunteer firefighter with Gig Harbor, and uh, I was testing for various fire departments in the area. And uh, you know everything was going along just fine, and and uh, then ironically enough, uh, Kawasaki called me. And I moved back down to Southern California and got back into voter sports PR, which I've been doing for about 23 years. But I am still uh, a volunteer firefighter and president of the Firefighters Association here in Kohler, Washington, or Kohler, Wisconsin. And uh, so I still love to serve my community um, and give back. But uh, I really, really, truly enjoyed living in Gig Harbor. Um, I've frequented Tides Tavern a couple of times. (laughs)
0: I'll be dining there tonight, actually.
1: It's a beautiful part of the country, uh, incredible, um, brilliant people, and um, I think everybody's very, very fortunate that lives in Gig Harbor to have such a marvelous, marvelous fire service. There are um, a lot of great uh, people who work there. The medical services are just uh, top-notch, so uh, learning from them and being able to grow and serve and really open the door for a longer future in the fire service. It's been about 13 years now that I've been a volunteer firefighter. So uh, I really, truly, truly enjoy giving back to my community that way.
0: My hat's off to you and a great, humble thanks to you and all the firefighters, EMTs, police, everyone that sacrifices so much to take care of all of us uh, and expects nothing back. I mean, really, really nice of you to do that. And of course, Gig Harbor, been my home for 27 and a half years. Beautiful place. I've luckily never had to call any of these guys for anything other than my neighbors who have had health issues and uh, been over there and had them roll up very quickly and help people and save some lives. So uh, that is a very cool story. That's uh, very, very nice of you. And the fact that you're still serving as well as. absolutely spectacular so thanks for sharing that yeah sorry to see you left Mm -hmm. gig harbor but you've gone on to do some fun things so let me give you a uh, proper introduction and we're going to dive into the fun that you're having at a legendary racetrack john evert is the communications director at elkhart lakes road america this legendary racetrack is situated on 640 acres near the kettle moraine scenic drive a beautiful part of the country and has hosted races in September of 1955. John manages a broad variety of strategic initiatives to promote and communicate all the activities and opportunities at Road America. This 14-turn road course and motorsports facility hosts over 500 events a year, keeping him very busy, including Moto America, IndyCar, NASCAR, IMSA, SCCA, and vintage racing events I'm proud to say I've raced at that track and done a 3 3-day driving school there it's a wonderful place John's career includes m- time in marketing and public relations firms work in the motorcycle industry for Kawasaki racing as he said time with Mitsubishi Motor Sales of America and their motorsports program and with the National Hot Rod Association. We'll be back in just a minute to learn more about Road America and John, but first a word from our sponsors, so please give them a kind ear, and we'll be right back. Buckle up. My friends at Covercraft offer you 10 different options. That's right, 10 for your vehicle's protection. You can choose from Weather Shield HP, HD, Sunbrella, Ultratech, Reflect, FormFit, custom view shield and their newest five-layer all-climate cover, three-layer moderate climate cover, and a five-layer indoor option. You have all sorts of ways to protect your car. All of these are custom tailored by Covercraft's talented craftspeople. It's the form and fit with the quality to attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. Surface protection is the best way to preserve the investment you've made in your vehicles. It's what I do Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft, too. I have a Covercraft cover for every one of my vehicles, and I've got a deal for you. If you use the code YAH21, 21 at Covercraft.com, they'll give you 10% off your order, plus you get free shipping. That's right, 10% off and free shipping. Just use the code YAH21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. I was talking with a buddy of mine the other day, and he asked me about American Collectors Insurance. He said, while I listen to you on Cars Yeah, you're always talking about agreed value collector car insurance. Well, I insure all my cars on my regular auto insurance policy, and I've done it for years. Why use a different company for my collector cars? I get a multi-car discount. Isn't that good enough? I suggested he call his carrier and ask how much he would get if his collector car was totaled Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green's at Cars Yeah. American Collector's Insurance, classic car insurance, designed by collectors for collectors, automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. They're the ones that insure my car. That's American Collector's Insurance. So, John, we're back. So, uh, as they say, let's dive a little deeper into the corner, uh, something a lot of people do where you spend a lot of your time. I'd love for you to talk a bit more about your involvement at Road America. What got you there? Because you had some interesting history in the motor industry, if you will. Uh, But you've landed in a place that sounds like you're very, very happy. So, grab the wheel.
1: Yeah, you know, what's really interesting for me is that um – When I started in motorsports, I actually answered a fax from the National Hot Rod Association back in 1996, and uh, I had worked in television and radio and newspaper when I was in college at Cal Poly, Uh, KCBS in Los Angeles, KLAC Radio with the Lakers and Dodgers and 49ers, and then also... you know, KZLA, which was country music at the time, and wrote for the school paper, did some stuff for the St. Bernardino Sun. Um, and uh, it was interesting because, uh, you know, I didn't think my resume would go anywhere. And uh, lo and behold, Denny Darnell called me. He was the director of communications for the NHRA. And, and I interviewed with him and Wally Parks. At oh, the, Wally uh, Parks, Winter. yeah, there's a name. Yeah, actually, at the NHRA Winter Nationals in, in 1997. Nice. It was great to be able to uh, kind of step into that role. Uh, At the highlight, uh, you know, kind of the heyday in in my world uh, of the NHRA, you had Kenny Bernstein, you had John Force, you had, uh, you know, all of these incredible names still driving. Don Perdoma had just retired, but Larry Dixon and Ron Caps were still driving. Joel Motto um, was, was still around. And, you know, it was just incredible to hear all of these names that, that I grew up with, you know, and John force is still driving, which I is know. really incredible Amazing. considering I, I like to call myself old, but, uh, <laughs> uh, that was just in for, for a small, you know, kid straight out of college to be able to run around and do media relations and PR uh, for that group was great. So that was four years there. And then, and then that, that kind of transgressed into, keeping involved in motorsports in various facets from Mitsubishi to Kawasaki to be a Goodrich Ford Mazda from the agency side. So I like to tell everybody that um, everything that I've done in my career motorsports wise, I've been to pretty much every single track, worked alongside of every single series or or worked with the series, um, as well as every form of motorsports, everything that I've done has prepared me for Road America. And I got the call I like to tell people I've been here since 2012 that uh, I get to have a party every two weeks and all my friends show up (laughs) because uh, it's pretty cool to see my friends from, you know, the AMA, which is now Moto America, from NASCAR, from IndyCar, from IMSA, from the sports car realm, also from the vintage realm as well. It's just absolutely fascinating for them to say, hey, John, we're so glad you're there. I'm calling you up. I need a credential on a parking pass. I'm doing a story about this, or I'm working for this person, or I'm with this series. And it's always kind of fun to do that. So we like to share that Wisconsin hospitality, as they like to say. <laughs> you
0: do have that, yeah.
1: <laughs> open the door for everybody and show everybody a good time. My job is, is really uh, helping the media do their jobs. You know, it's it's very tough as we all know, to be traveling, especially in, in these days of COVID and, and also post nine eleven. So uh, people come in, they're they're travel weary, they're tired, they probably have deadlines, they have things going on, they're worried about um, Wi-Fi and a and, uh, comfortable place to work and, and also being able to watch and cover the events. So uh, we try to make sure that all of those facets are in place and, and they've got all the necessary things that they need uh, to provide positive coverage. From time to time, we can slip in some great things about our facility and um, It's always encouraging for me uh, to hear, hey, we love coming there. That's our favorite track. And uh, that's what I try to instill on everybody when they leave. Sometimes it's not always easy with with race car drivers, per se, and riders because they say they love it. So it's a tough interview. You kind of have to kind of ask a few more questions (laughs) to to get some things out of them, especially if you're trying to fill time or space. But um, it's a nice problem to have as well. Four miles, 14 turns, uh, rolling hills throughout the Kettle Moraine so many different offerings uh, and in addition to uh, what happens on track we like to tell people come for the experience and stay for the race because when you are here you do feel like you're staying in a national park so yes. we also call ourselves the national park of speed uh, <laughs> a little bit of history uh with the track is that uh, you know we were designed and built by a gentleman named Cliff Tufty um that's Cliff with one f and uh he was a civil engineer back in the day and and had a vision Uh, once uh, they stopped racing on on roadways around the area because uh, it was just too dangerous. Uh, So he uh, gathered a group of people, SCCA members and and other local business people and other landowners, and uh, found this patch of land uh, just uh, south of Elkhart Lake and uh, walked the property. Wow. Literally walked. Yeah, he literally walked uh, every section of the property and hammered in a steel stake where he thought a turn needed to be and and where he thought you know a certain element of the racetrack needed to be they wanted to encompass the feeling of still racing on the roads as they had had before racing around the village of Elkhart Lake uh, but have some straightaways and have some challenging turns and you looked at racing back, you know, even at the turn of the century and then moving into the 20s, 30s, and 40s. And, and you know, obviously during the 30s and 40s, there was a little bit of a, a dissuade there because of the wartime area. But then coming into the 50s, all of these pilots and, and soldiers came back and, and were racing these thrilling cars. I mean, the, the evolution of racing came in the 50s, the biggest evolution, I would say, because you had an HRA, you had NASCAR, you had all of these various aspects of sports car racing. People were taking big engines and putting them in small cars and doing crazy things with them. So, he walked this track and instead of 2.7 miles or two miles, which most tracks were, they chose 4.048 was the perfect track with straightaways and right turns and left turns as opposed to just right turns or just left turns. And, and, uh, another fun fact about road America is that that configuration has not changed since 1955. Really? And, wow. uh, yes. And it, that the configuration, I mean, there's still runoff areas and there's still rumble strips. and. Certain things, but the whole configuration has not changed and the elevation changes and everything. Nothing was really ground out or milled out or it's all the natural elevation of the area.
0: It's a marvelous track. My first visit there was exactly what you said. I felt like I was in a park and we were there to do some vintage racing. And I remember thinking, boy, I'm glad we have some track bikes to get around this place to kind of check it out because it's so huge. If you try to walk, it takes you quite a while to get from one place, but yeah, you can picnic, you can sit back and then going in the first time I was there, a bunch of us drove race cars into town and all the people welcoming, welcoming you into town. And they had kind of like a little impromptu concourse on the streets of the race cars. And of course, famous places to eat. It's just a, it's like a cozy friendly, it's like a gig Harbor, you know, it's a hometown feel.
1: It is, and and we're very, very lucky because uh, when Cliff Tufty and the various people that brought Road America to what it is, ironically enough, they call it Road America because they wanted to design it after road courses, they kind of did it backwards, and a lot of people love to ask that question, what do you mean? (laughs) Well, if you go to any sports venue nowadays or any racetrack, you usually park outside the facility and walk in. With Road America, it's totally different, and we're lucky for that fact because you actually drive through the gate. And you can move around to different parts of the facility and watch from different locations as opposed to other facilities or venues. You're not dedicated to a seat you you have room to roam. You can move around and park your car in one turn and watch somewhere or walk to another turn and watch. Uh, and uh, probably one of the few road courses where you can sit under a shade tree and put your feet in green grass and watch world-class racing. And we're, we're very fortunate for that fact. And uh, it's, uh, it's something to wear you know, being here for uh, the time period that I have been, it's been a it's been a revelation for me to to really see this and experience it, and hear so many generations of fans coming back and and so many generations of racers racing here. Oh, if everybody's really dig- raced there, yeah, yeah. If, if you dig deep into the annuals of our archives, which I I locked myself in there for hours at a time, uh, there isn't a single famous name, you know, that's uttered that uh, hasn't really raced at Road America. So uh, we like to tell people when they get the chance to walk the track as part of our four miles of fitness or do a track walk with a Skip Barber School or, or something of that sort, that they are walking um, in the place of history. History has been made here time and time again, and, and it's made literally every single day during our season. So that's um, one of the really unique uh, factors of this place is that uh, it hasn't changed. It won't change. Uh, We're planning a a complete repave in October of 22 and immediately a lot of people started raising their hands and, and, uh, you know, kind of getting nervous about things, but we promised everybody that we're not changing the track in any way, shape or form. We're just giving it a little bit of a, you know, a a refresh, a facelift, which is necessary. I think the last one was done in 1995, so, you know, uh, asphalt and and concrete have, have a, uh, an expiration date, as we all know. So it's, it's about time for that, but we're not going to change anything else. We're just, uh, we're making it new and we've got a full committee working on that. So that's an exciting thing for, for moving into 2022 and, and also for 2023. But, uh, the other thing that's unique about Road America that a lot of people aren't familiar with is that our business model, we're very similar to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, We have shareholders. Uh, We report to a board of directors and our board of directors reports to our shareholders. So people can buy shares of Road America. They're not publicly traded. It's privately traded. Mm -hmm. Um, The shares are are, um, very sought after. So usually whenever a share becomes available, they're traded uh, immediately amongst various shareholders. We're owned by uh, a group and uh, we make sure that we adhere to what those the group is looking for uh, based on our capital expenditures. And we're constantly reinvesting funds back into the facility. Uh, We've had a a good season in 2021 and uh, we have reinvested those funds back into uh, improvements for 2022 and 2023 and beyond. And that's what we do to make this place nice, whether it's new concession stands, new restrooms, new amenities for fans, paving the track surface for competitors, garage spaces, towers, our new paddock shop and conference center and things like that. It's constantly improving the facility and our our fans appreciate that. Our shareholders appreciate that, especially our competitors appreciate that. And and it's allowed us to now have uh, a little bit of staying power when it comes to the series as well. So we're, we're also extremely lucky, very, very blessed that uh, we have every major racing series in North America uh, coming to this racetrack uh, for the 2022 season. Uh, That's a rarity. Uh, The only thing that we're kind of missing out on is World Superbike or or Formula One. Formula One fans can still come to Road America and and probably be here enjoying the experience and National Park of Speed while watching Formula One you know, on their iPads and their iPhones and and in their campers uh, otherwise. What's interesting is that if people want their Formula One fix, we do have vintage Formula One cars arriving from time to time because we have three vintage events. And it's always fun to see these uh, 1990s uh, Benetons and, you know, unwinding as they go down the front straight. So that's encouraging as well. I've always been kind of more of a fan of the uh, vintage Formula One cars anyways. I, I think that that was probably... Some of the heyday uh, there when you when you look at Formula One between 1960 and 1990, you know, so those those are always my favorite years. Uh, Road America is special. It's unique. Uh, You do feel like you've stepped back in time. Until you hear the cars go by and then you know you're actually witnessing the future and you're, you're also witnessing history so it's a, it's a great place to
0: be it's a fabulous place and you painted a wonderful picture for people if you've never been there before make some plans for 2022 to get to road america and enjoy some of the many uh spectacular events there's plenty to choose from that's for sure you know john you've been around so many great people i would assume you have some uh driving inspirations maybe a key influential mentor type person in your life that's really stood out
1: well, it's interesting that when you think about uh, inspirational people that have stood out in my life, I, I, there's a myriad. Uh, it's I'm looking at a picture in, in my office right now of uh, vintage drag racers from West Bend, Kansas from back in the day and Great Bend Raceway and others that I have. And uh, behind it is a ticket stub from 1989 when I went to the Winter Nationals and I was still in high school, and Wally Parks autographed this picture that that was hanging in my office, and it hung in my office, and, and when I was working for the NHRA, and it still hangs in my office here at Road America. He was probably one of those uh, inspirational folks because he was a gentleman at heart. He was an editor first and foremost for National Hot Rod Magazine, and and uh, and uh, then you know evolved into this organization, uh, which has grown to what it is today. And uh, when you look at some of these great names in motorsports Phil Hill um, Bobby Unser Mario Andretti guys of of those sorts and and even you know names that are synonymous with NASCAR and and, and others they were always gentlemen now they were always very astute businessmen and uh, my first boss straight out of college my first business card my first piece of stationery you know Denny Darnell uh, was probably one of uh, another one of those gentlemen and he uh, he was an editor for a paper uh, in Tennessee and, uh, you know, kind of moved up through the ranks to Bristol Motor Speedway and, and and others and then landed at the NHRA. And all of them had a business sense about them and, uh, and a professionalism about them that uh, truly inspired me. They treated others, uh, you know, in a way of, of respect. Sure. I mean, sometimes tempers would get a little bit high about something or you know, things didn't always work the way that they wanted to, but there was always a level of respect and a level of kindness that they that they alluded to everybody. And they also had a passion to where it really was just about getting the job done. So that's something I've always sort of carried with me as far as getting the job done. It's uh, being able to understand when a when a writer or an editor is um, under deadline, when a person needs information quickly, in um, especially in motorsports, you know, a race you know, complete rather quickly. You you have a deadline uh, and you need to get your story out or you need to get your video piece complete or your radio interview done. And uh, they really taught me that. They taught me how to help these people do their job. And that's what I do.
0: Fortunate life you've had to be around some amazing people. We'll take a short break. We come back. We'll talk a little bit about a challenge that you may have faced in your career. So keep the seatbelts on. We'll take a pit stop and we'll be right back. I've discovered Linkage. How did you discover your path to a fulfilling life? Too many young people flounder in finding an education and a career that fits. But for those who have a passion for cars, trucks, and motorcycles, and who love working with their hands, problem-solving, and fixing things, a career as a professional auto technician is incredibly rewarding. Cars Yeah! is pleased to team up with TechForce Foundation our charity of choice in bringing scholarships, technical education, and hands-on experience to young people so they can discover a possible future. Join me and lend your support by visiting techforce.org today. So let's talk about this. Maybe a big challenge, big failure, big obstacle you hit in your career. What was that? But more importantly, what was the lesson learned?
1: Well, I think the biggest challenge for me was, as I remember, Deciding to leave the NHRA because I needed to spend more time at home with my wife. I was traveling about 35 weeks out of the year. So I took a different job. I was actually selling produce for a brief period in time. And a lot of people at this company were asking me, why are you here? You know, you came from the NHRA. Now you're selling truckloads of lettuce. And it just didn't fit. And unfortunately, my marriage dissolved. And and, uh, I dove back into automotive and motorsports at the time. Mm Mm-hmm really kind of just tried to do anything and everything. And that's where Mitsubishi came into play, uh, which was great. And uh, then I, I did some short consulting work here and there, but that's also where I realized, you know, I was in New York for the New York auto show shortly after September 11th. And I realized all of the the tragedy that had unfolded for for America and how America came together and how so many people were, were doing what they could to, to help and give back. So that's kind of where I had, a, I had an epiphany, and uh, I knew I needed to do something, and uh, that's where I became, decided to become a firefighter EMT. It's something that I still pride myself with uh, to this day. The challenge was is I, I was going from, okay, a white-collar career, sitting behind a desk pretty leisurely, to now uh, a very physical uh, form of work. So I had to get in shape and I had to do a lot of testing and I had to do a lot of training and I had to dive into something that was completely unknown to me. Um, so it took a lot of time and uh, and effort, but uh, I'm better for it. And I think I would highly recommend um, anybody uh, to take the time to learn uh, what nurses and doctors and EMS professionals and firefighters and police officers do take the time to go on a ride-along, take the time to talk to them, to hear some of their stories. Sometimes it's a fit for somebody, and sometimes it's not. But you truly uh, understand the sacrifices that these individuals make to make our communities better. And uh, I honestly don't feel that they pay any of them well enough. My second wife, who I'm still married to, <laughs> thankfully. She's a nurse. Oh, great. She's a nurse and and she's also a certified firefighter and EMT as well. Wow. Um, I like to say that neither one of us wear the pants in the family. We both wear shorts. (laughs) Superheroes. Yes. So we we have a kinship there. But um, I I will say that when you look at uh, the amount of money that volunteer firefighters save the nation it's over 170 billion a year wow. um, and when you look at the levels of training that they have to go through and the levels of sacrifice that they have to make um, in addition to nurses and EMTs and, and also police officers it's pretty substantial so that was a that was a challenge for me is to give up a lot of things and just to say I'm going to go do this uh, but it also made me a better person it made me see a side of people from all walks of life and still provide care And there's a phrase that, you know, bad things happen to good people. And that's true. Mm. Sometimes things just don't work out. Sometimes accidents happen and you have to be there. You're the first person that they look to. You know, I have some incredible stories that I can share uh, positive and I have some heartbreaking stories that I can share, but it makes you better as a person uh, to see these sacrifices and to see these things unfold before you, because then you don't really take too much for granted. Exactly. Um and and that falls in every aspect of life. That that's that's something to where you learn to appreciate every little thing and um, you know, I have a lot of empathy for customer service people, for waiters and waitresses, for bartenders, for taxi drivers, for you name it because these are people that are really sometimes working two, three or four jobs to either support their family or or do something else or maybe move on to something better. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's really, you kind of just have to take a step back and give them a break. And yeah. uh, it, it's everything from truck drivers to police officers to firefighters to nurses. It's the fabric of our nation, really. Um, it's the fabric of, of what made our nation better. Were all of these people willing to step up and volunteer and, and go after tyranny um, in World War II and, and fight against, a you know, a known enemy? Mm-hmm. You know, nowadays we're kind of facing an unknown enemy when it, when it comes to the pandemic and when it comes to... Uh, everything else that's going on in the world and and uh, it's it's fascinating to look at these people that are willing to put themselves before everything else um, to hopefully make other people's lives better. And I, you know I'm encouraged when I see people come together and provide support that way. Um, i'm I'm thankful that I accepted that challenge and really stepped away from the business world to do that. I realized once I got back into the business world that I could continue to do that, and I still received the same support. And, uh, you, when you enter into the EMS field or the firefighter field, or even law enforcement or, or even into uh, nursing, there's a camaraderie there that will carry you your entire life. And, uh, there's always a brotherhood, there's always a sisterhood. And that's something that, um, fills a nice uh, space in my life too to where you know not only can I, can I serve my community but I can walk into a fire station in any, in any city um, and let them know that I'm a firefighter and these guys understand what I've been through and they, they accept me with open arms. It's truly something that's unique to this country and I encourage anybody that uh, they have the time to, and they really want you know to really do something good uh, take that time to volunteer through their community.
0: Well, no doubt. And uh, as I said earlier, I'm I'm extremely grateful for uh, what you did, but for all, all folks out there serving in these varieties of ways. Very special people. I've got family members, friends who uh, serve in these ways, police officers, firefighters, EMT, and uh, uh, humbling uh, for us regular Joes to see what you folks do. So again, thank you. Thanks to your wife and everybody listening out there that volunteers and does this. Uh, I'm very, very grateful. Very grateful. I'm going to crawl into your head. This is kind of a unique question. I'm guessing nobody ever has asked you this. I'm going to be your automotive psychologist or racing psychologist. If you were manifest as a vehicle, what would you be, John? But more importantly, why?
1: Uh, if I was manifested as a vehicle, it would probably be a four-wheel drive truck. Um, I, I, I like could have it. figured that. <laughs> yes, yeah, that was right. Yeah, yeah, and and an older one. You know, I, I enjoy the technologies that we all see today. You know, I'm a car guy at heart. I bought my first car; it was a 1966 Mustang when I was 14 from a farmer in Valley Center, Kansas. Uh, he had restored it for his son, who was going to K State, and his son wanted a different car and. You know, I had saved up uh, money from mowing lawns and newspaper routes and, and uh, Christmas and Easter and various things, you know, $5 here, $10 there and, and managed to, to buy this car. Going through life, I had, I've i always been fond of, you know, your Chevys and your Fords and trucks and, and uh, because a truck can carry a lot of things, it can do a lot of things, it's resourceful, it uh, can go a lot of places, it can tow things and uh, I've always kind of looked at, at you know, myself as somewhat of a problem solver. My grandfather told me, you know, if you, if you have a, a problem and you need to talk to somebody, try to think of a couple solutions first. You know, don't just cry over spilt milk and and things like that. And I think it was that resourcefulness of of the generation that was, uh, you know, young in the, the Great Depression and. And uh, came of age during World War II, and they learned how to, you know, squeeze a dollar out of a dime and, and uh, do lots of things. And, and that's kind of, if I was to be a vehicle, that would be something that would be probably uh, take a couple times to get running in the morning. But uh, once it got going, <laughs> it would work all day and, and uh, get the job done. So, um, you know, I kind of like to, to think of myself that way. And, you know, some days I'd probably rather just stay in the garage. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, my wife is uh, she's an inspiration to me as well because uh, we we like to work on a lot of different things when we have time off, and uh, we're not really just stagnant. But at the end of the day, we we like to we like to unwind and relax. So it's um, it's rewarding uh, yeah. to to accomplish things. So I see myself as some sort of a vehicle that's probably a, a work related vehicle as opposed to something that's that's fast. That uh, just gets you from A to B, and and has a lot of handling characteristics. Or that I mean, uh, I'm I'm just uh, I'm something that uh, you can throw a lot of stuff at, and and can carry the load, and and uh, you know we'll always be uh, we'll always be there at the end of the day, and and uh, you can turn the key and it goes.
0: I like it. Nice answer to that question. How about a great book you'd like to share?
1: A really good book that I always share. I do public speaking and, and uh, various engagements for. Colleges and, and schools in the area, Lake, Lakeland Community College and Cardinal Stritch and, you know, even, even others. And uh, when I get the chance to speak to kids in sports marketing classes and, and uh, various other classes, uh, I always try to share this with them, even some of my interns, and especially high school students as well yep. that are interested in getting into the industry. It's called Do What You Are, and it's actually written by uh, Paul Teeger and Barbara Barron. Uh, you can uh, search for it on Amazon. Um, and it's discovering the perfect career for you through the secrets of your personality. What's interesting about this book is when, when I was wondering whether or not I should go into the fire service, I was kind of wondering if I should change my career as well, and here I am, you know, somebody in my late 20s, not quite sure if I wanted to do it. I picked up this book, and I read it, and essentially, it has a personality test at the end of the book, and if you're honest with yourself, it's surprising what you will find. And I read through this book and, and uh, was careful about it. And I took this personality test at the end. And ironically enough, it said that I should be a public relations professional, <laughs> a firefighter, an emergency room doctor, or a chef. And uh, wow. I love to cook. You know, I love to cook. Uh, It it told me that I should go into the fire service, which is what I did. I became a firefighter EMT. And uh, I've been a public relations professional before, and I'm a public relations communications professional now. So I guess the only thing left is to probably go to medical school, but uh, I I don't know (laughs) if I'm going to probably take that route. But it was fascinating to me to read through this book, finish this test, and realize, okay, I had made the right choice. But also, it was something to me to where if somebody's not sure about what they want to do in life, and this is why I like to share it with high school kids or college students, this is definitely a book, no matter how old you are or how young you are. I was out of college. You know, I, was, I had a career, and I read this book. I wish I had read it when I was younger, uh, because I truly believe that if you find your happiness in your career, that you never have to work another day in your life. Um, I like to tell people that I get up every morning, I live in colder Wisconsin, which is 10 miles from Road America, and I drive about 80 miles an hour to get to the track. Sure, it's probably about 10 miles over the speed limit, but that's because I'm excited to get to work every day. (laughs) Yeah, And i told people, I said, when I'm not driving a little bit faster than I should to get to work, that's the day that I don't need to be coming
0: to work. Great recommendation. Absolutely familiar with that book. And yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely worth your time, especially if you're looking for a change or if you're a young listener looking for something to do. You've taken us on a great ride today. I wonder if you could leave us with a success quote or a mantra, a nice saying before I let you go.
1: Uh, super simple. Comes from uh, Roger Penske. Roger Penske is just a legend in the motorsports community, obviously very successful uh, racer and team owner. Roger, when he has employees that have been with him for a period of time and, and, uh, he believes in them, he gives them a coin, uh, kind of like a challenge coin that the military have. And on one side, it says, effort equals results. And I firmly believe that. It's a phrase that I, that I heard way back in the day. And it doesn't matter what type of effort it is. Case in point, positive effort equals positive results. If you put in the effort, you're going to have positive results. If you don't put in the effort, you're not going to have any results. Or negative effort equals negative results. So it's quite simple. Effort equals results. With Roger Penske, you know, he, he flat out says, he's like, put your head down, work hard, um, things will work out for you. Um, and That's what he instills with a lot of people. And that's why he's, uh, you know, an uh, incredible businessman, won the Congressional Medal of Freedom, has a national amazing... Uh, business and in many many facets, from cars to trucks to car dealerships to racetracks. Uh, he is now the owner of IMS and, and also IndyCar. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and, <laughs> and and uh, still chugging right along, well into his 80s. And uh, he's somebody who was a, a formidable factor in in all forms of business and motorsports. And uh, it really all boils down to one simple phrase: uh, effort equals results.
0: Awesome. Well, I would encourage you listeners, if you want to learn more about Elkhart Lakes Road America, just go to roadamerica.com. They've got a great website, great events. If you want to get out, which we all need to after what we've been through, and go do some things and have some fun next year, there are so many great events at Road America. Check them out when you're there. Ask for John and tell him you heard him on Cars Yeah and say hello. No doubt he will be happy to see you there. John, thank you for spending some time with us today and being so inspiring. Uh, I could talk to you for hours. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road.
1: Thank you, Mark, and thanks for having me, and I wish everybody the best, and we encourage seeing everybody here at
0: Road America. Absolutely. It's the place to be. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to carsya.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up.